Welcome to another episode of the Go With John Show. We have John Esposito with us. John, welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, so John, tell me about, so how are you, how are you most mostly known around town? It's funny, the name of the store is Personal Touch Jewelers, but it's better known as John the Jeweler. Right. Go to John the Jeweler. Yes. You know, so, which is, you know, fine with me. Right. You know, the, the name Personal Touch actually came out of nowhere. It was my ability to uh, to do things for people. You know, when I first started the business, um, and I'm talking about before I moved here, I was in New York for 17 years. Right. I always took on jobs that um, someone else either ruined or couldn't do. And, you know, so I took on the challenge just to need of work in need of money. Right. You know, now, was this in living. jewelry or was this just in, in jewelry, other trades? Okay. Jewelry. Okay. I've been doing this. Tell me I don't look this old, but I've been doing it. September will be 51 years. Wow. 50. I've been on my own since 1977. Wow. Congratulations. Never, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I did a seven year apprenticeship, uh, learned my trade. And it was basically, you could do this on your own. You'll make more money. And I was afraid to. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. was basically given some accounts and off I went. Right. It was primarily wholesale in New York. Right. Uh, but I, I have two daughters and I wanted out of New York. Mm-hmm. And I found out that through a cousin that Fairfax County had the best school system in the country. Wow. And I said, I want to move there. Mm-hmm. It took two years to convince my wife back mm-hmm. then. And, mm-hmm. and um, sadly, it, it is a sad story. I, I was known to, to set very large diamonds. Mm-hmm. The one time that the diamond belonged to me, mm-hmm. it was stolen. No. I don't know how. It was taken off my workbench. I was in the diamond exchange. People say, you know, they take an antenna with a piece of gum on it and just, yeah. it was sitting on my workbench. I, I literally couldn't speak for two weeks. Wow. And that's when my wife said, this was 19, uh, when I wanted to come was 1985. I finally made it here in 87. Wow. And uh, of course, never found. I have an idea who may have taken it, but mm-hmm. you know you can't accuse. Sure. But it was a blessing. It was a blessing. My commute from where I lived, it was called New it is called New City, New York. My commute into Midtown Manhattan, Rockefeller Center, Diamond District, was 33 miles. Wow. The ride here was very reminiscent of that bumper-to-bumper traffic. <laughs> oh, you're talking I about today, not, to get today, here today. Yeah. Today, the ride yeah, yeah. here, I was like, wow. Because yeah. my commute now is seven miles. Right, I'm and you you're, you live in Clifton and your store is in Clifton. In Fairfax. In Fairfax, Basically, okay. the last street of Fairfax City. Which street are you on in Fairfax City? Germantown Road. Okay, okay. The highway in Germantown Road. Okay, I know it well. So, you know, I basically go down Braddock Road yep. to Clifton Road, and I'm home. Yeah, you know, nice. Seven miles. Yeah, didn't mean to scar you like like that by bringing you in here today. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I I um, I had a, a tremendous concern for my kids. Mm-hmm. So, because I grew up in Brooklyn, my right. first daughter was born born in Brooklyn. Yeah, and I wanted out. Right. You know, and 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 
Was it the crime? I mean, what drove no, you out? No, no, honestly, no. I lived in a, there's such a thing as a, you know, I was living in a good part of Brooklyn. Right. Um, you know what's amazing is that house, I bought it in 1980 for $51,000. It sold last year for a million two. Isn't that crazy? It had a closet-sized bathroom on the second level. Right. It no was, bathroom on the main it, level. I can't imagine it was more than 1,200 square feet. Right. You know, Do you remember what you it. sold it for in uh, 87? I sold it. I actually sold it in 83. 83, okay. And I thought I did so well because I sold it for 105. Right. Doubled your money. I doubled my money, and then I bought a house in New City, New York. Yep. Which, like I said, is 33 miles from my job in midtown manhattan and I, I that was tough that was that was having two jobs i would leave at 6 20 in the morning to be there sometimes at 8 30 wow you know wow 8 15 at best yep it was a long haul because going in you had to pay a toll right and by the way the toll back then was two bucks yeah what's it today i think today it's either 13 or 17 <laughs> I, I don't know which is which that'll get you That'll get oh, you. Oh, my gosh. You know, and I rode a motorcycle into Manhattan many, many days of the year. Yeah. And it was only a buck. Right. Motorcycles got in for half. Now right, because you only two wheels. And But now they pay the same. Do they? Now they pay the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did you, how did you get into the jewelry business? Oh, gosh. You know, I, my parents came here in 1955, which mm-hmm. is the year I was born. I was in my mom's belly. So I was conceived in Italy and born here. You know, my dad was a, a tenor mm-hmm. in the opera. You know, opera was a big thing back then. So yes. the opera would come here for two years at a time, leave my mom for two years at a time. I have a brother who is 14 years older than me. So he would leave them for two years at a time. So they would come in. You know, they would basically, the opera would play from the Cascals down to Miami. Mm-hmm. And then in the one of the tours, he decided that they were going to move here. And his sister blazed the trail to mm-hmm. Brooklyn, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, he set up the arrangements and they went back to Italy. They had to finish the tour in Italy. Long story, we were in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. So the other sad part of this is that my father made all these arrangements. My mother was pregnant. They wouldn't grant him a visa once he was done to come over. Hmm. My father didn't see me till I was two. Wow. So my older brother, I call, you know, at, at one, you know, 18 months, years of age, whatever, I'm calling my brother, dad. Wow. You know? Anyway, um, my point is that, you know, immigrant parents, they, they really didn't have a lot of money. So I started working at a very young age. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the company Fuller Brush? No, I don't. Fuller Brush was a company that sold a variety of brushes. Okay. And I went door to door. And I don't recall how old I was. I was probably 13. Yeah. And, and you're going to laugh at this. I only worked for them long enough to buy my first mini bike. Is that which right? Which was $100. Virgin <laughs> Stratton mini bike. But when I, when I was in high school preparing for college, I needed a car. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was no way my parents were going to flip for that mm-hmm. you know so what's really comical is i bought a 1963 pontiac tempest it was 150 dollars. and that 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 car was uh featured i think in the movie my cousin Vinny. 
Well, no, that was uh, that was a I think like a '67. That's when it was a cool looking. A couple car. years later, okay, yeah. okay. Um, but my insurance, because I was young, was doesn't sound like a lot today. It was right. six hundred dollars a year. Right. You know, more, back more then the you'd car. be two bucks an hour. Right. You know. <laughs> so. I worked at a grocery store, an Italian grocery store. I was cutting cold cuts yeah. on the machine. Yeah. You know, I was stocking. I was delivering. I would right. get paid. Even back then, it was five cents a bottle. People would give me five bottles to take back, and mm -hmm. they'd make a quarter for the delivery. Yeah. Well, my brother worked in the Diamond District. After high school, that's what he did. He went and learned, did an apprenticeship. So, do you remember the movie The French Connection? Yes. My high school was, it was filmed right up the block from my high school. Right. And that train, that we used to call it the L, the elevated mm -hmm. train, would take me into Manhattan because my brother decided that I should be a gopher mm -hmm. in the jewelry business mm -hmm. and I would make more money. So, I did that. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then I sat down at a bench and learn my trade. Mm -hmm. By trade, I'm a diamond setter. That's what I right. am. And that's how I made a living. You know, I, I made, like when I said, when I finished my apprenticeship and they, they gave me five accounts, basically five manufacturers who gave me the gold, gave me the diamonds, whatever it was, a ring, a pendant, earrings, mm -hmm. I said it. It was basically piecework. If mm -hmm. I said 100 diamonds, I got paid to set. And back in those days, it was 75 cents a diamond to set. You wow. know, but I made a living. I made a living. Yeah. And, um, How long did it take you to set a diamond? It depending on the type of diamond. You know, if it was like you know back then, you know, diamond hearts were very popular. Mm -hmm. I remember this one particular heart had twenty diamonds in it. You know, I could set that in a half hour. Wow. You know, but then you'd have things that were pretty intricate that took time. You know, mm -hmm. setting one diamond could take as much as ten minutes, seven minutes. You right. Know? Right. So, um, but I did it. I did it for, for a long time. And then I decided, basically on my own from 77 to 87, mm -hmm. basically doing diamond setting. Mm -hmm. And I was really, really good at my craft that I, um, boy, I, I, I remember one day in my career, my mortgage, I'll never forget this, my mortgage payment was $630 a month. Mm -hmm. Love to have that today. And... <laughs> I got $10 a carat to set a diamond. So if I set a one carat diamond, I made 10 bucks. Doesn't seem fair. Because well, how, much, how much did a one carat diamond cost? Back I mean, in those days, it could have been, you know, two, 2,000, 3,000, depending right, on the Right, they quality. could have paid you 20. So, so <laughs> but I worked for a, he was my mentor, Leon Fryman. I loved him. I used to call his wife mom. Leon was without a doubt, I, I really don't know for a fact, but he had to be one of the, or if not the largest diamond guys in the world. Mm -hmm. So this particular day, I set three 10 carat diamonds. Wow. Three wow. 10 carat. I called up my wife and I said, you know, I just made half our mortgage payment in, in probably an hour and a half. I mean, oh, I said a diamond for him once. Oh, my God. No insurance. This is a diamond trading in the trade. It wasn't being sold yet. 
It was a million two hundred thousand dollars, and good old Leon and the guard were there. Well, I did it. It was a sky blue seven o two pear shape. Wow! It was unbelievable. Um, so you know, I was known to do that kind of work, and that's mm-hmm. that's when it you know it happened. My three carat three o two. I'll never forget. I can identify that diamond today if I saw it. Really? I could. I really could. Wow. And it was my pride and joy because it was something that, it was my first large purchase, mm-hmm. you know, and it was it was meant to buy and trade, mm-hmm. you know, and it was gone. Mm. It was gone. So um, that was kind of the, um, the absolute moment in my life where I was like, wow, I am very vulnerable. I didn't realize it, you know. You know, I commuted into Manhattan by motorcycle a lot. Mm-hmm. I put 52,000 miles on a motorcycle in three years mm-hmm. from that's New City. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. Yep. And I never felt vulnerable. I never, you know, I'm a, going around taxi cabs, you know, yeah. and I never felt it. Never, ever. But when that diamond was gone, I, I was like, wow, wow. Mm. So, but like I said, God sent, came to Virginia, and I still love it. I don't yeah. regret it. I have now lived here longer. I'm here longer than I lived in New York. That's crazy. And you know, I'm here 30, flies, 35 yeah. years in May. So. Yeah, yeah. Good, good story. So how do you, how do you, uh, um, maintain your 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 high level of you obviously have a passion for jewelry and you have a passion for business you have a passion for a lot of things you have passion for motorcycles and antique cars which we'll talk about here in a minute but but talk about how how do you build your business and keep your customers happy how do you keep pushing yourself to the next level i you know I don't push myself to the next level. It's my customers that push me. Yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I don't advertise. Mm-hmm. You know, just however many years we've been on Facebook, you know, we'll post things I've made. Right. Um, otherwise, I don't do any advertising. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, someone will come in and so-and-so recommended you, you know, I don't know what else, you know, I, I get advertisers that call me. What do you mean you don't need more business? I said, no, I'm doing fine. They don't want to hear that, you know? Yeah. But, uh, and, it, and I remember years ago, I, I do a bracelet. Mm-hmm. I, I have to say I pass tense because it's too expensive now. Mm-hmm. But I did a bracelet with children's names on it mm-hmm. in gold. Mm-hmm. So if you're a family of, you know, four Mm -hmm. you would have mom on each end and the kids in the middle Mm -hmm. just little tiny gold the letters were probably oh gosh you know we do everything in metric in in the jewelry business so that each letter was probably six millimeters Mm -hmm. i would give that bracelet away to whoever wanted it for their fundraiser Mm -hmm. whether it be uh, you know a school whatever the fundraiser was right but the bracelet had my children's name on it so mm-hmm. that person who won it would have to come in with it so I could make it with their names. Mm-hmm. That was the best advertising I ever did. <laughs> it really was. It was a charitable cause. Right. And I made a customer, too, because right. once they came in the store, in other words, if you give away something that you make, they win it, mm-hmm. but they'll never come see you. 
So do you do you make everything you sell? Oh, you know, I would say more than 70%, but there are things that are made by machine, like Italian gold chains. Right. Uh, men's wedding bands are made on a lathe. Right, right. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, basically anything that's machine made. Right. You know, I don't do. And there are things that I do that are machine made, but I, I do it better. Right. Um, it's funny, one, one of the things that I used to make when I was a diamond setter as a living was it's called a channel wedding band or an anniversary band. That's mm-hmm. where the diamonds are in the middle and there's a wall on each yes. side. Yes, yep, yep. Oh, my God, I must have set, oh, I can't, hundreds, thousands of them. Now there's a machine that does it. Yeah. And it does it better than me. Oh, boy. When I first saw it, I, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. But now when I sell one of those bands, it's machine made. Wow. You know, it, it's amazing. Yeah. It really, truly, truly is amazing. Um, but honestly, it, it's been, you know, this whole idea of Instagram and Facebook. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a young guy comes in now. He hands me a picture from his phone he says this is what she likes and i make it Mm. it's that simple wow you know in the old days you know he would conjure up an idea and you know i wouldn't know the percentage but i would say 75 percent of the time the woman was satisfied Mm -hmm. but i've had you know i use this a lot you know a woman will come in and say you know i've had this on for 10 years I've hated it from the day I got it, but I didn't have the heart to tell him. Right. Oh, that would break my heart. Right. You know, he spent his money, my time, my experience, you know, and sure enough, I don't think that happens anymore. Right. Not too long ago, hopefully they're not listening, I made a ring and it was small. She loved it. Mm -hmm. The size, not the finger size, but the ring itself. Sure. Not the diamond. The center diamond was fine, mm-hmm. but she wanted a bigger scale of that ring, and yep. I did it, and she's thrilled. She's thrilled, you know. Basically, um, a person that comes in usually has an idea. You know, I, I call my store a destination location. Right. I've always wanted to change that, but I'm not, I'm not kidding. I've never found a location that I liked better mm-hmm. or I should say better like I wanted to move to uh, Fairfax Corner mm-hmm. I loved it I wanted to move to Reston Town Center yeah I loved it Reston Town Center was I, I couldn't bite the bullet the rent yeah. was just so much money yeah yeah yep. I was able to you know I even had a, a, a contract in front of me to sign a lease mm-hmm. for Fairfax Corner and I realized that it, it is also a destination location. And I would have to work much harder because the rent was higher. Yeah. So I never I never moved. Yeah, I've been there, you know, good old A.J. Dwoskin properties. I've been there for May will be 35 years. Wow. Well, I can tell you have a lot of passion for, for making people happy. Uh, you can't see your face, obviously. We're just doing an audio recording. But when you talk about... Uh, how happy she was when you made her 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 ring. Your face is glowing just for the folks I, listening. I, I mean. I, I've got to I've got to tell you this. Nineteen ninety nine. I met a gentleman. To back up, we rode. If you know what a Yamaha R one is, it's an incredible. Back in the day, it mm-hmm. was the fastest bike. It was incredible. And I met this gentleman that made a 
a, um, it's called an undertail enclosure. Mm -hmm. So you took away that plastic black fender and you put this under, it was made in, in France. Mm -hmm. it, you took this and made, it was painted and it really finished off the back of the bike. Long story, he and I became very good friends mm -hmm. to the point where I went to Europe with him and he, the motorcycle show in Europe is unbelievable. But to shorten this, he expressed to me, because he was making a lot of money, he expressed to me, I wake up to make money. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, John, I am not kidding you. I pondered this for three and a half days. Mm -hmm. Why do I wake up? What, you know, and I actually came up with that. I wake up to make people happy. Yep. When I make people happy, I'm happy. Right. You know, so right. it, it's, it's, not, it's not that I'm so generous. I need it. Yeah. I need, I need it for my personal life. Yep. I need it for my business life. And of course, in my business life, I make people happy. I make a living. Yes. You know? Yeah. I, there are so many jewelers around that make so much more money than I do. Mm -hmm. I, I, am I envious? Yeah, slightly, but I'm not, I'm not willing to work that hard. Mm -hmm. You know, I, mm -hmm. I need, I put my heart and soul in everything I make. I could never do $4 million a year that I hear, you know, right, right. most of that is, I, I'm going to guess is, is manufactured. You know, when yeah. I worked for a manufacturer, gosh, I'd have an envelope. I was telling you about diamond hearts. I'd have 20 of those diamond hearts. When I opened the loose diamonds, my tray would be like a mountain of diamonds. Yeah. You know, where did they all go? They went to all the different stores in the country. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas, sure, they have a salesperson, they sell that item over and over and over. Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, I, I may make an item and I, I may not make it again. Yeah, and that's why you call your store? personal touch there you go john the jeweler personal. all right we're going to take a quick break um we're with john esposito and we'll be right back with more conversation we're going to talk some motorcycles when we come back yes yes i want <laughs> to we are back still chatting with john esposito thanks again john for coming in i'm really enjoying uh, well, this our is time together fun. this Good. is honestly john you're a nice guy this is lots of fun yeah well, you're a nice guy too so and, <laughs> and nick is nice most and of the nick time. is a nice guy <laughs> we got to work him into every show at least once say right? yeah so 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 uh so in the elevator ride up we were talking about um motorcycles and i asked you what's your favorite motorcycle and you and you said my yeah, that question is posed to me over and over, mm -hmm. almost daily. Yeah. And because and, I do, it is my passion, um, but it is my mood. You know, I, I tell people, I usually make that decision when I'm in the shower. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm closed on Sundays and Mondays, and I do my riding on Sundays and Mondays. I've gone cross country, you know, but my the favorite motorcycle of the day is the mood I'm in. Right. And I was telling you, when, when it, there are motorcycles that take a lot of energy, you know, I have old bikes. I love, love working on them. So tell me about one of your old bikes. Right now I have a 1946 Indian on the lift, mm -hmm. um, basically uh, doing a tune up, changing, you know, right. this is so old. And you do it all yourself? And I do it all myself. Yeah. Um, talk about energy. This motorcycle, 
you know, it's 1946. It's not only that they, it's running on drum brakes, but they're small drum brakes. You right. Know? You know, motorcycles of the past stop primarily with the back brake. Mm-hmm. Whereas today's motorcycles stop more than 70% of the front brake. Wow. So it's another skill. Yeah. To ride. Yeah. You know, this particular motorcycle is, they refer to it as a suicide clutch, you know. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've, your clutch is on your foot and your shifter is on the side of the tank. Mm-hmm. You know, so that in itself, if you were interested in mo- motorcycles, that in itself, and you bought one, there's a learning curve to learn right. how to ride that motorcycle. And you know, I, I got to tell you, I have a 42 Harley. You know, they were competitive against each other you know mm-hmm. who's going to make the sale you know harley made it simply because the government bought harleys you know municipalities bought harleys mm-hmm. and they put indian out of business right if i got it right i think indian went out in 40 uh in 52 mm-hmm. you know when when one of the things about the the harley the harley is a four-speed the Indian is a three-speed, you know, mm-hmm. so they were ahead of the game there. But Indian had a rear suspension. Harley didn't put a rear suspension till 1958. Wow. But, you know, you had that pogo stick seat. Yeah. You know, so you, you did have a, a, a you know. The springs on the they, seat, They can't yeah. see me on the podcast. Yeah, I'm yeah. bouncing in my chair. Right. But um, and, and the Indian is a lighter bike. The Indian is actually uh, uh, maneuvers better, yeah. you know. But I do like riding the Harley more. Yeah. There's something about the posture of the Harley. They, they, yeah. Posture is almost the same, but there's something a little different, whether it's a wider bar on the Harley. Yeah. Um, there, there is something. I've ridden a lot of bikes in my day, mostly Hondas and, and Yamahas. And uh, last year, I bought my first Harley. I bought a brand new um, 21 Road King. And the first time, you know, when I, I, I'd never even ridden a Harley, never sat on one. Because I couldn't afford it. So why torture myself, you know? And it is an amazing bike. It is, yeah. uh, oh, it yeah. is, it's incredible. It's it, not, not at all like uh, you would expect. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those motorcycles. Uh, I had one. It's one of those motorcycles where it may be heavy to get off the stand, but once mm-hmm. you release that clutch, yeah. it goes through the twisties. You know, yeah. people don't realize it, you know. I have sport bikes, you know. I guess the the sport bike of my of my favor is Ducati. Mm-hmm. And I have quite a few Ducatis. Very old. Mm-hmm. I have a nineteen fifty nine. You know, in nineteen fifty nine the largest Ducati was a two hundred CC. Is that right? 1958 it was a 175 wow by 1962 it became a 250 they raced these motorcycles Mm -hmm. i have one that's uh, all the energy in the world i put in that bike way over you know what it's valued at today Mm -hmm. um but it's yeah i'm like a a monkey on a tricycle when i ride it it's really small (laughs) but i love it i love it you know i one of the first bikes that I bought that was old was a, a 1969 BMW. Mm-hmm. It's called an R69S. Mm-hmm. Boy, have they gone up in value. Yeah. I bought that bike from a uh, biology teacher. I'll never forget it. He had it set up. He took it to school every day. Mm-hmm. He put 
Japanese big turn signals on it. He made it so it would be safe. Right. I remember taking it home and pulling all that stuff off. You know, the mufflers had rotted through, mm -hmm. and he welded, I'm not exaggerating, a coffee can, or somebody did it for him, a coffee can over the hole, you know, <laughs> wrapped it around. Right, right. Um, you know, that one-pound coffee can. Um, but I, I rode that bike from here to Laconia. Laconia is um, New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. um, 639 miles one way. Wow, that's a, a long ride. On a bike that um, seriously brakes are very poor, mm -hmm. um, that has no low-end torque whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But once you're at 60, 65 miles an hour, you can go forever. Mm -hmm. uh, if you know anything about engines you know it has a very very heavy flywheel so when you let go of the gas you can do 65 miles i'm not exaggerating for another three four miles wow it would just just coast forever um i still own it it's funny all the different personalities that equipment has yeah you know that's it's that's the pleasure of you know you've got the the, the fellow that is I met someone last year. He's got a Honda collection to die for. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Die hard Honda. Of course, mm -hmm. you know they're die hard Harleys. Mm -hmm. But I love, I love them all. I love working on them all. Mm -hmm. I probably would be so incredible if I just stuck to one brand as a mechanic. Right. But, uh, and I know someone that's got a BMW collection that is beyond comprehension. Millions of dollars. Now, you know, the BMWs, I, I, I have a, an opportunity to ride a few of those, and those are incredibly smooth riding bikes. You feel like, you almost don't feel like you're on a motorcycle. It's bizarre. Yeah. Which, in some cases, that's great. Yeah. In some cases, you want to, you know, my, my daughter did horseback riding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're green, when you're brand new at it, you want a horse that's very trained. Yes, but once you know what you're doing, you want to be able to train the horse. Right. So you want a horse that's, for lack of term, disobedient. You yeah. Know? <laughs> um, and that's motorcycling, too. You know, again, my mood, when I don't feel like I have a, a, a Triumph, it's as smooth as a BMW, if not smoother. Really? I push that button. It takes no energy to ride it. In mm -hmm. other words, it just goes. Mm -hmm. And there are times when I can't ride it. It's boring. It's too boring. I mm -hmm. want something that, you know. The suicide clutch. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I do something called Bikes and Breakfast. Have you heard of it? I, I know, but I saw that on uh, the information that you sent over. So tell us about Bikes and Breakfast. Bikes and Breakfast was started by my best buddy, Dale, in New York. Mm -hmm. If there's anything I miss... It's his family is my family, mm -hmm. you know, our kids grew up together. Um, and we used to go to a place called Marcus Dairy in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Our children were infants. We would get up at, at the crack of, you know, just get out there before six o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. and ride out from New York to Marcus Dairy, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. um, all these wonderful back roads and we would be home before the kids were even up it was amazing we mm -hmm. did that and we i want to say we started that that we went there there was i remember this guy mark 
who had a BMW. We rode BMWs in those days. It was three of us. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget breakfast was corned beef, hash, and eggs. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, it was so good. <laughs> it became so popular that on a given Sunday, 2,000 motorcycles. Wow. Um, so I can't, I can't say that we started that, but I, I think we started the trend. Right. Well, Marcus Derry's gone. And uh, 2013, Dale decided he wanted to try doing it mm-hmm. near where he lives. And it took off. Called it Bikes and Breakfast. We have a great logo. Um, the logo is trademarked. But mm-hmm. we give it to anybody that wants to start a Bikes and Breakfast. So in 2014, I did it here in Virginia, in Old Town Clifton. Mm-hmm. And probably not well liked by the residents. But, um, of course, the, the, the two breakfast places, the, the Clifton Pub and the Crepe Place next door, they do an incredible business. Mm-hmm. Um, we're there from 8 to 11. Mm-hmm. And... How often do you do it? What day a week? For for mine, I do it. It's the second Sunday of every month. Okay, so once a month, all year long. All year long. And it's coming. You should come this Sunday. I think the weather is going to allow it to happen. I think it's going to happen. Last month, there was ice and snow. And I, you know, I send out an email the Thursday before the Sunday. And I say, right. please come. Come in four wheels, mm-hmm. but bring a motorcycle model. Yeah. <laughs> and we did. You know, there were only like 12 of us. Right, you know? right. I think there were 13 of us. But, yeah. And we laid the motorcycle models where we would park the bikes and we got on the ground and took photos. Oh, that's great. So if you go to our Bikes and Breakfast website. Which is? Just plug in Google Bikes and Breakfast. Okay. And then once, you, once it's up, you can. we now have three places in New York. Mm-hmm. Three, two places in Pennsylvania, two places in Maryland. No, one. Well, Maryland, his name is Jim Brown. Jim does it the first Sunday and the third Sunday. He used to be the mayor of Poolsville. Okay. Now he's a real estate agent. Right. I don't know if that name rings a bell. The, the football ni- player, Jim Brown. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nicest guy in the world. He yeah. really is a nice guy. Um, then we have Virginia, we have Fredericksburg. Uh, we had Richmond. That didn't go well. Um, uh, Virginia Beach, mm-hmm. of course, Clifton. And believe it or not, we've got a gentleman who came to mind. He does it in the Philippines. Wow. And you would think the Philippines, you know, they ride mopeds. Yeah. No, they ride Harleys. They ride Ducati. <laughs> they ride Triumphs. They ride motorcycles. Right. And he, he does it. He's got a business. I, I've got to, got to express this because he's the only one that makes money. This There is no monetary value mm-hmm. in this. I hope they're listening. I don't even get a free cup of coffee. <laughs> anyway, his name is James. James, and sadly, James, his bikes and breakfast because of COVID has been shut down for a very wow. long time. Now, where is James? In the Philippines. Okay. And he is now reopened. Mm-hmm. But James has a building. And inside that building, he's got a barbershop, mm-hmm. repairs motorcycles, sold accessories, mm-hmm. sells accessories like motorcycle helmets, jackets, right. um, an eatery. So his breakfast, 
He's serving it. He's making the money. <laughs> and I think because of Bikes and Breakfast, he got a couple of franchises. Wow. So he does well. He's the only one that, that He's an innovator. Money. He's Oh, he's a great guy. Yeah. He actually, he definitely is an entrepreneur. Because when yeah. I met him, he came here to, uh, he wanted to start a motorcycle riding school in the mm -hmm. Philippines. So he mm -hmm. came here to learn. Mm-hmm. So and then when he came to my bike, I don't know how he got inv uh, invited, but he came and speaks English extremely well. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, sure, just take the logo and go with it, you know. So um, if you know what Cars and Coffee is. Yeah, absolutely. Cars and very... Coffee started in California. Right. And comes all the way east. Right. Right. And we have the best cars and coffee in Great Falls. Been to it many times. Oh, it's just yep. unbelievable. Yep, yep. I say it's better than any any car show. It is. It's amazing. So yep. Bikes and Breakfast has started on the East Coast and mm -hmm. we're pushing to get it to go all the way to the West Coast. Yeah. Fantastic. That's very unusual because almost everything starts on the West yeah. Coast and rolls its way, yeah, you know, I mean, building they trends. They have and, their yeah. meetups. They have their gatherings. But under the heading of bikes and breakfast, yeah. you know, but, um, fantastic. So we have, we have a website. If you wanted to go all the way back to 2013, there are photos of every gathering all the way up to present. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So we'll take a look. The gathering started, the, the whole idea behind the gathering is that my peers, we, we have multiple motorcycles. So the gathering started as a, I think it says um, classic and antique motorcycle gathering, mm -hmm. but everyone is welcome. <laughs> so, so sadly, wait, if I only have one bike, I can still come. I don't have to could, have four. Of course, of right. course. <laughs> you know, the, the, the Clifton pub yes, familiar is with it, yeah. um, a cute little restaurant pub. You know, they got a liquor license Oh while ago now mm -hmm. so they do very well you know mm -hmm. if you serve booze you're gonna you're gonna have a clientele base yeah because it was more of a grocery store and of course you can get a, a sandwich you know but now it's a true restaurant you mm -hmm. know small but and the owner tom sadly he's passed away i said tom i want two parking spots can we put cones on two prices we're gonna have i am at maximum 10 motorcycles mm-hmm that first gathering, May of 2014, I had 248 <laughs> motorcycles. And you say, how did you do that? I don't have an answer. Yeah. I just put it out there. Yep. And yep. like I said, the residents, I, I had to go to a, a town council meeting. And I, I came up with my defense. It, whether it won or whether they could tell me yay or nay, I can't have motorcycles there. Right. I said, you know, there's over 8,700 hours in a year. And at best, we have motorcycles in town 21 hours a year. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the summer months is where we get the big groups. Right. Like, like this coming, we'll probably at best have 15 motorcycles. Mm -hmm. We'll see if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. But I'm hoping I'm wrong. So, I, you know, I'll never forget it. The mayor sat in the middle and there was all the people on the board across that table and I'm sitting and the only defense I had was what I just told you and I had one of the restaurant, uh, the son, Tom's son, mm -hmm. there and um, oh, I had one woman who said, oh, you guys never shut off your engines. <laughs> I said, no, that's not true, you yeah. know. 
and you never wear helmets and that's not true, you know. <laughs> anyway, so. But so was, if you're not wearing helmets, that would be a, a question for law enforcement. I mean. Uh, and the fact that, yeah, there, there were, you know, I can't police people. Right. You know, I am not there to tell them what to do or what not to do. Mm-hmm. We're there to have a good time yep. for three hours. Yeah. The reason why I canceled it, I wanted it to end at 11 is we have a cool little church in town mm-hmm. and their first service started at 11 mm-hmm. now sadly and i i know one of the pastors now they that service starts at 10 30. Mm. i said oh, i feel so guilty he says that's nah, no problem mm-hmm. so but uh, you know people that have been living in town for 30 years you know people have discovered clifton yeah. You know, they need, they live in a townhouse or a condo and they mm-hmm. need to get out yeah. and they discovered the town of Clifton. Yeah, it's a beautiful you know. place. Oh, the street is so, but I got to be honest, when bikes and breakfast on a good summer day, it is... Something? Oh my God. You can't find a spot <laughs> for a motorcycle by nine o'clock. Amazing. Well, so congratulations. You've got to come. Congratulations. We'll check it out. So, John Esposito, thank you so much for coming in and uh, sharing stories with us today. Is there anything you want to add before we wrap up? Oh, my gosh. Um, You know, I'm not exactly sure why I'm doing a podcast. I was invited to do it. I said, sure. If it's to promote my business, hey, that's great. If it's to come to my bikes and breakfast, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, come visit. We'll do. Both places. We'll do. Absolutely. John, thank you for coming in. We enjoyed the chat. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.